Welcome to Teachings in the Air. Air, air. This is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman coming to you from the unceded territory of the Muskegon, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish peoples. So lucky to be here in their territory. The Muskegon people, I know them personally. They're such beautiful people, generous, friendly, humorous, beautiful people. So today I'm doing a podcast called Absolute Fairness for All. And that's what justice is, absolute fairness for all. So the the podcast is about systemic racism in Canada. You know, and I know it exists probably all over the world. But the goal of the podcast is to create understanding to inspire people to carry on, regardless of racism, not to stop, not to let it stop them in life. You know, I first got asked to do a presentation on racism in a college in 1995. So I started to do research on racism. And it's interesting how it brought me to... um, Europe, when Christopher Columbus went back to Europe after he discovered <laughs> discovered America, he actually bumped into the people in the Caribbean. And he went back and he said to the Pope, there are people there. And the Pope said, are they Christian? He says, no. So the Pope said, We'll call that land terra nullius, which is an old Roman law that means empty land. So in my way of thinking, that's okay. He's saying, okay, they're not people. So you can do what you want with them because we're not following Christ in the Americas. You know, so in my way of thinking, because I'm, I'm always interested in first cause. What's the first cause for troubles for a human being? And I think for racism, that's the very first cause, the Pope. 
seeing that's empty land. And that means we don't count for anything. And the colonizers were actually appointed by the royals of Europe. So in my view, there's very few colonizers. And they were appointed by the royals to set up a colony in the Americas. And they would come and they would build the fort and they would have soldiers with them. And they would build the fort and plant a flag. And see, I claim this on behalf of Queen Isabella of Spain. That's what Christopher said. On behalf of Queen Isabella. So that's how colonization started. And they were outnumbered when they first come here. So I say today, how they overcome indigenous people in the Americas was genius. Pure evil genius. You know, how do you take over when you're outnumbered by a population? So of course they had their methodologies already. It was developed in Europe. How to do this. And it's to divide and conquer. And the reason for it, all conflict in the world is because of resources and ideology. There's two simple reasons why human beings will fight each other. You think of all the wars that's been about silver and gold and oil and water and farmland and furs and trees. People fight each other to the death for resources. Because they're in love with power, they want to power. Wealth means power. So if you have a lot of wealth, you're powerful. And that way of life. So they, they come, and I tried to imagine, I put myself in their place. When they see, for instance, Vancouver Island, the trees, the salmon in the river, and there's gold where I'm from. In colonization, it actually is about the complete and utter political and economic control over another people. Complete. And, uh, to do that, you must find a way to do that. And that's the birth of racism in the Americas. Because the ideology they were creating was that we're pagan, savage, heathens. We don't know Christ. We speak the devil's language. We use the devil's tools. You know, it's like QAnon people, <laughs> in a sense, you know, saying things that just making it up. You know, and um, when I think of that pagan, I, I'm a self-identified pagan today. I tell people I'm a pagan which means that I practice the ways of my ancestors. That's what a pagan is. It's not really a bad word. They made it into a bad word. You know, so I um, call myself a pagan because pr my practice, my spiritual practice is indigenous. So they come in, and these are very few people. The first relationship was one of helping these Europeans to survive on the land and to feed them and give them medicine. I know that's true. Then after, we didn't know how deceptive these men were. 
how cunning they were, what they were really wanting was the resources. I think of the gold that came out of our territory, it's tons of gold that went to Europe. You know, so, so that part of that clever manipulation was to create an identity of indigenous people, of pagans, savages, heathens, people to be feared. Then as time went on, they added to the description drunken, crazy, stupid, lazy, stinking Indians. That's a created identity. And that's why today they're stereotyping, you know, profiling of indigenous people. You know, that they're drunks. You know, they're pathologizing just because I'm indigenous that I'm going to be an alcoholic, <laughs> you know, which is crazy. You know, I, I am an alcoholic, but it's just, Happened to Jerry. You know, it doesn't happen to all of us. You know, so... You know that... So there's political, economic control over the people. That's where the injustice started to happen. You know, they took children... They made laws and policies that today we'll call them racist. You know, because they're meant to oppress and put down... An example would be alcohol. When they first come, they're giving it away. You know, they're, I think in um, Manitoba, I forget the number, but it's something like uh, 1,200 gallons of rum they gave away. So, because they're trading furs. When you get someone drunk, you can rob them practically. <laughs> you know, so that was happening, and it's happening in BC. They're giving away rum you know, to the indigenous people, because they could see the impact on them. It was so obvious. In fact, my language, we say shkiach, for someone that's intoxicated. But we didn't have alcohol in our culture. So I said to my elder, I said, how come, what does shkiach mean? He says, oh, it means drunk. I said, no, what does it really mean? Because we didn't have beer or whiskey before. And he says, oh, I get what you're getting at. Shishkiach means he's going crazy. <laughs> so when, when we drank it, you know, you fall around, you stagger, you do all of those things, and they say he's going crazy. So that's how we got that word. So the created identity of indigenous peoples has caused so much harm created policy and laws like the residential school law or law you have to go to residential school my grandfather my mother's dad got put in jail for six months for saying no you're not taking Martina to residential school so that's a racist law because it's only against indigenous you know there's laws about hunting and fishing that we never knew before, and it's racist. So all of those, you put them all together and you think of economy and ideology and those things, you know, then we can start to see what's going on here. So, when I think of the harm that's been done because of racism, 
you know, we barely talk about it. It's now coming out because of social media and things. All of a sudden, we know what happens to Joyce in the hospital in Montreal, you know, to Sinclair in Winnipeg in the wheelchair, you know, people dying from because of racism. It's been going on now probably since the beginning. But now, today, I'm Sahilthit. I have hope today. I have belief today that the winds of change are here. That there will be eventually absolute fairness for all in Canada. I live by that. I breathe that. I, I believe it. Because I believe that there can be change, I put myself into the work. Pull out. Do everything I can to help. People have heard me in the anti-racism movement in BC. They probably heard me say, I'm in this work because I believe rednecks can heal. <laughs> you know, I actually used the term in a conference. Because I do. I've met people that changed. Canadians I'm talking about. I've met Canadians that said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do something positive for indigenous people. That's what leads me to the belief that the winds of change are here. So I want my listeners to know I have three wonderful guests with me today that work for a wonderful, wonderful program or institution, and it's called Sanyas. It's a quaggy word about knowledge, and that's been doing incredible work. It's silent. You don't hear about it or maybe see it, but there now have been thousands of people that have been through Sanyas in Canada and people around the world want this program so I'm so blessed today to be sitting with three individuals that work for Sanyas and they've been working there as uh, change agents it's just I, I have great respect for Sanyas facilitators I say they're because it's like a master in the Zen Buddhism movement. They say a master is someone that can transform people with words. And that's what I see Sanyas does on the computer, in an online program, typing at their keyboards, transforming people. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's how I see it. So my guests here today, I'm going to call on you to, first off, I'll tell you the, um, what we're going to do here, what I'm asking of you. First off, to introduce yourself, where you're from, and about your family. And after you do that, then we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to share how you got into this work and why you're doing this work. Because it's tough work. You know, it's, it's not easy. So for the listeners to hear, because one of my reasons is I want to attract people to come to Sanyas too, to work for Sanyas or other organizations to start programs like Sanyas, you know. So I'd like to hear you just introduce yourself and your family and maybe your education. 
and what your dreams are for yourself. Then after that, we'll go into um, the challenges of the work you're doing now. And what's been nourishing for you in the work? What feeds you? What motivates you or inspires you about this work? Then the last I'll ask of you is to give a message of your choice. So I'd like to start with Kelly, and I'd like you to introduce yourself to the people that are coming to Teachings in the Air. Kelly, please. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you so much. It's a real honor to be here, uh, part of your podcast, and to speak about justice and absolute fairness for all. It's such a powerful message. Uh, my name is Kelly, Kelly Pollock. I am a white settler of mainly Scottish ancestry, and I currently live in the lands of the Kwikwetlem people in the lower mainland here. And um, I have been very fortunate to grow up in northern British Columbia in the lands of the Simshan people and the Haida people as well, and, um, and got to uh, live in small indigenous communities growing up which was such a blessing and I've learned so much and hope to um, honor people who helped to raise me by uh, doing this work. And that's part of why I'm here doing this work. Um, I also have married into a large, fabulous Gitsan family and um, my husband and children are Gitsan and I think that I am so called to do this work uh, not just for my own children, but for all Indigenous children and non-Indigenous children to have a world to live in that is fair and that treats them well and sees them and uplifts them and where they feel like they can make a difference and just be happy and joyful and surrounded by community, a uh, community that's going to um, support their strengths and not tear anybody down. And I think that is why I am here doing this work. And for some of my own background as well, I previously uh, had a career as a lawyer, a short career as a lawyer prior to um, uh, having children. And it was a very um, spiritually challenging career. And I was taught to um, uh, bring myself into spaces in a certain way of a lot of like um, strength and strength isn't the right word but expertise and um, even perhaps bravado mm -hmm. and like to be the one who always knows all the things and um, and the system that I was taught to operate within was so incredibly racist with a lot of laws that are still on the books that are targeting indigenous people and practicing law um, in Gitsan and Wet'suwet'en territory in the north, the impacts for indigenous people was really apparent every single day for whole communities and individuals and for my loved ones as well. And um, after having um, my, my child, I took a break from law and really had to think about whether or not I was going to be able to do that again. And now as a parent, seeing the world in such a different way and wanting to be a good role model for my, my son and my stepchildren and not knowing that um, the, the path that I was down as a lawyer would, was one that I would want um, them to see of me. And then I found Sanyas. 
Thank you, Kelly. Okay, my next guest is Arju. And then I'm so excited to hear you, Arju. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. Um, my name is Arzu Sultani. Arzu, sorry. Arzu Sultani. I am a racialized settler from Iran. Um, my ancestry, my ethnicity is Azadi. Um, my parents were uh, political refugees, and we came uninvited on unceded uh, lands. We settled here, uh, Musqueam, Slaytooth, and uh, the Swamish people. And um, But currently, right now, I live in on uh, Dish with One Spoon territory and Treaty 13 territory. And for me, I grew up in a really political family, and uh, talking about injustice was uh, a daily conversation you know and but we never talked about race what was happening to my family there was no language for it what they were experiencing as racialized people here and um, when I was 26 I went through what I call a bit of a racial awakening and it sort of transformed the way I understood myself and I had to relive a lot of my own racial trauma and um, sort of came into a new politics and Racism, talking about race, became sort of an everyday living and breathing part of who I became, you know. It was the first thing I thought about when I woke up in the morning. It was the last thing I thought about when I went to bed at night. And um, But with that learning, you know, being here means that I have a very complicated relationship because not only have I experienced racism, but I'm also contributing to racism. And so I had to figure out a way to carve out a piece, a space uh, that I was able to figure out who my audience was and who am I speaking to if this is something that I want to dedicate my life to. And so for me, it's been really about thinking about non-Indigenous racialized people and how we're coming here and what we're contributing to and how the myth of meritocracy and the land of equal opportunity, we come here and we're sold these stories and uh, we believe in them and we have no idea what's actually happening and what has happened and um, how our opportunities that are given to us and the way that we're able to climb the social ladder of social mobility is coming at the expense of many, many people. And so for me, it's um, I know who my audience is, I know who I'm talking to, and um, it's really important to... Um, do this work in a way that uh, sort of honors my own lived experiences. And I see my liberation connected to your liberation. You know, I don't see this as um, I'm not, I, I am disappointed in the way that it can pit us against each other. And so Sonia's was an opportunity for me when I, it, it happened very serendipitously, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for, to be able to come in and to sort of, uh, I'd like to step away from seeing this as a problem uh, between indigenous and white people, you know, and I want to break that binary and and um, talk about the ways that we're contributing to the problem and how we can work together and to free both to free ourselves together um, through allyship and solidarity. That's meaningful. So, yeah, that's what brings me here. Thank, Thank you. you. OK, I have one that I call my needs next and um neighboring nation to me so i'd like you to introduce yourself to the people please please sure. uh good afternoon everybody thank you jerry for asking to be here and to speak to what we're going to be talking about today i'm so excited um my name is robin smoker peters um i'm from the inlikatmuk nation uh from kamchin uh from Lytton first nation in the interior 
Um, I come from the Smoker family, from the Nickel Palm Reserve uh, at 18 Mile. And I was told that by my elders that uh, I'm going to share who, who my people are because you never know, you might have some relatives that are listening. <laughs> so, yeah, my name is Robin Smoker Peters, and my mother is Wanda Smoker. And my grandmother was Janet Smoker. My great grandparents were Lena James and Jimmy Smoker. So, yeah, we're from Kemchin in the interior, and uh, I'm currently living in uh, the unceded, unsurrendered uh, Wasanic territories in uh, Saanich, Greater Victoria. And um, a little bit about myself. Um, I moved, I grew up in, uh, I grew up off reserve in uh, Chilliwack, in Chilliwack and Stalo territory, and I moved to uh, Wasanic territories to pursue graduate studies. Uh, in Indigenous governance, and so a lot of my focus has been about uh, decolonization and uh, land-based resurgence. Um, a lot of work. I feel like sometimes I've been walking in two different paths, and uh, that's been a really interesting journey to articulate right now, but uh, a lot of the I've also worked as a healthcare worker. I worked in geriatric long-term care as a healthcare assistant for 10 years. And while I was doing that, I was pursuing, you know, education that was not necessarily always health specific. I worked, I did a lot of work um, in Stalo territory um, to do with uh, like fishing, fisheries rights. Um, I worked for Stalo Nation, uh, the Lower Fisheries um, Alliance and, you know, a few other organizations where uh, we were really, uh, up against, uh, you know, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans and fighting for our rights to fish allocations and to, you know, we were kind of entangled in that governmental bureaucracy. So that's a big part of who I am and what what brings me <clears throat> to, to how I've come to this work, actually. And the other part of it is that um, having worked in healthcare as well for a decade, I saw a lot <laughs> I experienced a lot and then it's also a deeply personal journey because you know I think about uh the question of like where what goals do I have and like where do I want to see this work going and what brings me to this work but it's my family for sure um it's important that and I envision a time as well um, when we think about the future that like, you know, maybe I don't have to go to every single doctor's appointment with my mom mm. or to have to, you know, check in, check in with my relatives who are in the hospital to see how they're, how, how they're doing and like, how is this nurse or this doctor treating you? And like, these are what the resources are. It's such a, the healthcare system is such a complicated and racist system to navigate and with the experience that I've had working in healthcare, I know how to navigate it. And then as well, um, you know, I care so deeply about our family and our people. I want to make sure that their, their experiences are safe and they're receiving fair treatment as well. And um, I'm really thinking about my, my, my relative. Um, they passed away recently, so I can't share their name, but... Um, their experience in the healthcare system being so brutally terrible that it it ended in them passing away, and I really 
my motivation is to make sure, <laughs> or, or at least do my part to make sure that that doesn't happen anymore. Um, it's inspirational to be called a change agent because, like, sometimes in the work that we do for Sanyas, I get so bogged down into smaller pieces of that work, and I forget that um, the that the the greater change that's happening from the conversations that we're having with the people that are in our training and uh, to be a part of that change. In, it's like a call to, you were talking about it with me, I think yesterday, Jerry, but the, the call to responsibility. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and this is definitely, um, I'm responsible. Uh, this is my duty to do this because I have the voice to do it and I have the passion <laughs> and uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fighter, so... We're gonna we're gonna do this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Robin. You know, I'm just so moved by my three guests today. You know, the, my people um, had great respect for life givers, the ones that can carry children to birth. One of our rock paintings, it's um, of the sun, and the image of the sun is a pregnant woman. Always pregnant, it says, it means. Because the son is a life giver too. So I'm sitting with two, three life givers today about this topic of racism. Race, is, of course, is our ethnicity. And ism forms a noun. Like alcoholism, for instance, um, it means you have a problem with alcohol. Raceism, you know, the isms in the world, you know, we we need to to write it, to make it right, or to change, to encourage change. I know that I've come to realize that all meaningful change comes from within. You know, I get influenced by outside people, but I'm the one that makes the, the choice. I make the decision. And that's a hope that I have for you listeners out there. Listen to these life givers and ask yourself, what can I change about myself to be of um, help to my family, to my friends, to my community, and eventually to my country? So I'm going to ask Kelly now how long she's been with Sun Yes and what does she do there and what are the struggles she's faced and what makes her feel good about working for Sun Yes. Thank you, Jerry. I have um, been in uh, what Jerry calls our, our sannyas canoe <laughs> for almost five years now, and I've done a number of things. I, In our work, we have an online um, facilitated training platform where participants um, go through a lot of content in the curriculum, including videos where um, indigenous people share their experiences and where a lot of um, experts and leaders in the field of cultural safety and anti-racism talk about um, racism. And then the participants get to join into the um, facilitated spaces and share their thoughts. And they could do that one-on-one -on -one in a journal space with just a facilitator. And we have a conversation in that space. And then they also do it um, in the discussion boards as a group where they can sort of share together and um, 
build off one another's experiences and insights, and the facilitators will guide those conversations as well. And so I have facilitated all of the different points. Um, I just heard um, one of the brilliant um, discussion board facilitators talk about the identity board. So that is um, where people introduce themselves. And then um, and the journal space is where people reflect on, um, on the impacts of colonization for Indigenous people. And the stereotyping discussion board where we talk about stereotypes and debunk them and then the action board where you know it's like where do we go from here like what are you gonna what are you gonna do how are you gonna take this learning back to your workplace and um make it safer for indigenous people that are accessing services there and that are working there and uh so i engage with the participants and i really it it was such a challenge for me to learn how to be a facilitator after being a lawyer where it was my job to just tell people what to do and they they would usually do it and this is so different each participant's on their own learning journey and the curriculum is the one that is is what provides the content and the indigenous people speaking in the videos are providing the content and we're just there to support people on their own learning journey. And I think like one of the things that you always said to me, Jerry, when I first started, was that it's our job to make this learning um, a little easier for people because it's really hard learning. And so like, I see myself as like a, like support and also to challenge people as well, to think a little bit deeper. And as a white settler myself, like I really consider it my role to like, sometimes challenge those white participants who are having a hard time being open to the learning and who are maybe feeling a little bit defensive, but like to, ch- to comfort and challenge at the same time. Like, yes, it is okay. Sometimes you'll feel defensive learning about this. It's hard learning. And also, you know, we have to do it. We have to do it because like, that's what your work is. That's what your role is. You took a job as, and you're a human. So uh, that's what I consider my job to be. And um, was there another part of the question? Is what benefits do you have from working with Sanyas? Uh, nourishment. Ah, I couldn't even begin to number them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I really like myself now <laughs> as a human being. I feel like the things that I've learned from you, Jerry, from the other facilitators, from our leadership from like the constant self-reflection that this work requires of white settlers, maybe of everybody, but I'll speak for myself, the constant self-reflection this work requires of me has, um, has um, put me on a path of starting to feel like I'm the kind of person that my kids can see as a good role model. Yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> Arzu. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. That was an excellent (laughs) summary of our work. (laughs) Um, So I work on the discussion. It's called discussion board number two. It's the stereotyping discussion board. And for me, so I'll start with the biggest challenge coming in. um, You know, I was enmeshed in indigenous critical theory and in uh, anti-racism education. I felt quite uh, well positioned to do the work, but as a non-indigenous racialized woman, sometimes what I was writing, um, 
the I was met with some resistance from white participants, particularly white male participants. And so that was a challenge because I was writing very similarly to some of my white colleagues. And so who gets called out and who doesn't, um, who is able, who's listened to and who isn't. Um, and yeah, and so that was a bit of a learning curve, you know, and um, I was well supported through that journey. And we know that this is going to be met with white fragility. Um, and so that's, uh, that, and that's an ongoing conversation that we have um, with our respective racial IDs and how we show up in the work every day. I think for me, what has proven to be uh, so inspirational is that I know personally that everyone has a delayed, we have a, de I have a delayed response to trauma. And so what we are learning can be um, quite, we can have visceral reactions, but we don't know the rippling effects of our work. And so when a participant walks away, you know, a week from now, two weeks from now, six months from now, we have no idea where they're going to take, um, what's going to happen to them, what, what journey they're, uh, what path that they're going to be on because of the training that they took and the learning that they want to go off and do. And so I'm really motivated by that. And when I get people coming back and thanking me for the training and um, just reading their words of encouragement around how they want to go out and they want to learn more because this is, I see like a, it's the beginning, you know, this isn't where the learning ends. And so I'm motivated by that. And I do honestly see myself first and foremost as an educator. And so I think we're doing that job of just, we're, 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 we're educate, we're building critical consciousness and raising awareness around um, the impacts of colonization and uh, the politics of representation, particularly for what I do. Thanks. So what was your biggest change from personally, for, yeah, for personally, me, yes. Um, oh, to learn how to manage my emotions, you know, um, what this work is incredibly impactful, but it's uh, there's a lot of harm we witness, and we have to bear witness to a lot of harm, and so. I believe in the politics of rage, and I've uh, I, I think I'm I uh, I've learned a lot from uh, women of color feminisms um, regarding that, and so I think um, sometimes I'm able to use my rage and it the way that it moves me uh, to write some things that are just so uh, that I'm that I'm just very proud of, and and it's like a form of self actualization for me, and so I I really channel. For me, like the change that I've noticed is how to sort of uh, use my emotions to move me to, to action and not to move me into sort of this uh, place of like uh, it becoming cathartic, you know, um, uh, and not. Uh, yeah. So uh, affect and emotions are definitely like one of the biggest. Uh, uh, it's been a quite incredible journey for me in that regards. Well, thank you. You know, because I was listening and I think of the. Righteous anger mm. is where I had to land because I was angry. I was a, I was actually hating people, you know. <laughs> then to turn it into righteous anger, you know, was a task for me. Robin, how long have you been now with them? This Sanyas canoe and what is what's been troubling for you or struggling for you, and what has been help you grow or? Mm -hmm. It's um it's amazing how time flies. I was actually trying to count. I was like, I got hired here, so <laughs> it'll be uh, four years in September, which is um <clears throat> really to be in the canoe for that long and to be doing this work has like been so meaningful. And um, I transitioned roles uh, a few months ago. I was a facilitator. I used to facilitate um, 
on the identity board and uh, another discussion board about like how can we take action. We've gone through this curriculum now and what what actions can be taken. And um, I now work in curriculum, developing curriculum. And it's been amazing to move into a role with the gifts that I've gained from facilitation. Um, and it's been an honor to be able to uh, continue the work that Dr. Cheryl Ward, Leslie Varley, and so many, so many other amazing folks that have put into to create this curriculum and this putting together these important pieces of pedagogy to do the work that we do. So that's actually kind of the challenge too, <laughs> um, is like how how can I ensure that I'm doing um, that I'm taking my responsibility seriously and continuing to do this good work um, in a good way. Um, and I think one of the benefits of, of that is having, I work with such supportive coworkers and colleagues and I get to see now that I'm on the other side doing curriculum, I get to see how curriculum informs facilitation. Um, and that's amazing. I get to have ch conversations with coworkers about specific parts of the, the training that keeps coming up and being able to see how, how the work that we're doing is supporting the conversations. Thank you. You know, I was thinking about myself with Sonia's, I think 12 years plus now. I've been with Sanyas since the beginning, since uh, or shortly after they began. And I count my blessings from the teachings I received working in this canoe. I've transformed to, I've freed myself of hate. Of the, it's a powerful emotion, hate. It brings out aggression on people. And aggression means you want to hurt people. You want to do harm. That's what being aggressive means, you know. And I, when I started with Sanyas, I knew that I had to personally change to be effective. I had to free myself, you know, and believe in change. Cheryl Ward said, um, we're going to create understanding so people can take action in regards to themselves and their work they're doing if there's racism. You know, so I, I took that. I still live by that. I'm going to create understanding for people, to understand indigenous people, the beautiful cultures that we have. Culture means a way of life. The generosity, the respect. I'm constantly reminding people that I brag about indigenous cultures. I'll tell them how beautiful we were as a people before contact, that there was no extinction going on in North America and we're here by ourselves. Because of our laws and our policies of how to live together and work together with everything. You know, they have words in a language like huinatsa, which means we're all one. And I thought the elder was saying that, I thought he was talking about the people in the room. He actually meant with everything, <laughs> you know. And that's when I finally realized I was laughing, I was saying, wow, I'm one with the trees, with the birds, the animals, the insects one with them we need each other that's a beautiful way of life and i think about what happened i called the crazy new way 
And I, I've come to the place now where I understand that every human being in the planet had that same culture at one time. I'd learned that there were industrial agricultural revolutions in um, Europe. Industrial, you know, they all of a sudden they learned to spin cotton and wool and do things differently. That they had what we had here, what they call shamans, healers, and they had the music and things to to unite people to become one and to move that way i've come to the place where i believe everyone was that way on a planet at one time i talk about how people fall in love with power you know and when you fall in love with power you do anything to to get it and then to keep it when I said the created identity, those ones were in love with power. So it didn't matter to them when they planted smallpox blankets. When I was told that by elders, I couldn't believe it. I say, no, no one will do that. They won't hurt men, women, and children. It can't be true. But he says, you see over there, that's a graveyard. I say, there's no crosses there. He says, no, it used to be our winter dwellings. And the people that died from smallpox, they burnt them down and they became mass graves. So I've come to the place now where I know it was individuals that were in love with power, that everyone that came across did not have that sickness. Like there were refugees, that means they run for their life to come here. There was immigrants looking for a better way of life because they were... They couldn't practice their religion where they were. So in, me, in my mind, you know, the categories of people in Canada today are indigenous. Punk um, colonizers, very few left, because there's very few colonizers in reality to me. This is the way Jerry thinks, okay? <laughs> I, want, I want to let you know that and my listeners out there, this is how Jerry thinks. And then there were the, um, the settlers. And the settler, in the truest term, meant they were given land for free. They actually advertised in Europe. I've seen posters. Come to Canada and you get 547 free acres. Those were the settlers. They, they were actually called to come and settle Canada. Because you couldn't form a government without a population. You couldn't take over totally without a population, so they created one. Now, then the ones that followed them were the immigrants, the ones that migrated, looking for a better life. Then finally, after the immigrants are the refugees, they were looking for a better way of life. Actually, many running from death. I met um, climate refugees from Fiji because of the hurricanes. They just couldn't possibly live there anymore. So to me, those are the categories of people in Canada today. And I, I tried to become as accurate for myself as possible. So I started to study what the meaning of words were. Like educate, for instance, actually means to lead. You're leading people to knowledge. Curriculum means a path that chariots run down. So you're creating a path for facilitators and for people listening or going through sannyas. That's what curriculum does now, a path 
for people going down learning about anti-racism or about absolute fairness for all. You know, so I, I actually started to fall in love with um, reading the dictionary, you know, because I, I realized I'm semi-literate, maybe even not even semi-literate, because I'm using words that I learned in context that I didn't know the real meaning. Like forgive, for instance, means to let go. You know, not to carry things, let it go, put it down. Like they say, free yourself, put it down. Don't be angry all the time. You're doing no one any good by being angry all the time. You know, that's how the elders would talk. So when we learned, like I looked up stereotyping after I started working with sannyas. It means twin. So you treat everybody like they're the same. So we need to know the meaning of the words that we use you know, so we can help people with that. One of the beautiful words I use, and I was helping UBC students, that we're learning about um, working with rheumatoid arthritis. So I looked up rheumatoid. It actually means a river of fire. Is rheumatoid arthritis, and you get an inflammation in every joint in your body. And it became clear to me what rheumatoid meant, a river of fire going through the human body. That's why they ice them, they cool them down to stop the pain. You know, so as um, you know, so for us to learn the words that we're using in our work, I feel is critical today so we can explain it. I think of Denzel Washington in this movie called Philadelphia. It's about AIDS. And he says, explain it like you're explaining it to a five-year-old child, you know, so they understand. So I get like that sometimes. Maybe I sound condescending or, you know, sanctimonious. You know what sanctimonious means? means holier than thou. <laughs> you know, when we listen to people that are like that, we stop listening, right? <laughs> or condescending, oh, you're like a child. You know, so we learn how to connect with human being. I tell people, if you don't connect, you're wasting each other's time. So as facilitators, I encourage them, connect with those people on the platform. Find a way. With indigenous, you know, like Robin, she introduced herself with her parents, grandparents, her family line. That's what indigenous people do. As soon as you do that, they'll relax and they'll start, if you had told them as a Canadian, your family, they would tell you too, then there's a connection. Then you can work together. Generally speaking, it probably wouldn't work all the time, but it's a, one of the ways I've, I've had success with. So I'd just like now for you to share a message about absolute fairness for all to whoever you want to share a message with. You know, and I was thinking of this podcast for a while now. I wanted to do it for two years now. It's the first opportunity I had with Sanyas. And I thought of messages. Because one of my dreams is that every child reaches their potential, you know, um, becomes what they're meant to be. 
because I've met so many now that didn't go to post-secondary, didn't, didn't continue because they're concerned about racism, or actually going to school and then feeling it and leaving, withdrawing themselves. So one of my jobs, I feel, as an elder is to motivate and encourage people to keep going. That's what my elders were doing for me. You know, Kelly, one of my, my uncles, two of my uncles always told me, become a lawyer. We need a lawyer. <laughs> you know? But I didn't want to go back to school. I, I, I didn't have a good experience in high school or elementary school. So I didn't go. You know? so I want um, people. Maybe you can give a message to people how to encourage children to keep going. Or I want you to give a message from your heart to whoever out there about justice and about racism. So Kelly, we'll start with you. Thank you, Jerry. That's such a large and important question. And I have been trying to reflect on how I would want to answer this. And I think I have to, I want, I want to speak first to... Um, my people, my, my white people out there. Yeah. Like, you, ha you have to do the work. You have to. Like, we're all taught so much racism in our culture in every single education program going through school from children in every single aspect of our culture. We're all taught this internalized racism and racial superiority complex, and we're taught horrible stereotypes about Indigenous people. And even when it doesn't feel like it's conscious, like you don't think it, you're like, no, not me, I'm not a racist. It's in all of us and we have to do the work. Like it's our job to excavate that out of ourselves every day and then like bring that forward in the schools that you're in, in the workplaces that you're in. Like find out what's happening to encourage indigenous kids to, you know, stay, to like feel welcome, like, What's happening to make sure that those spaces that you're in are safe for, for Indigenous kids and for racialized people as well so that, you know, we can all take part and ensure that our education spaces are accessible and fair for everyone, absolutely everyone. So that's, like, what I would like to say to, um, to white people out there. And it's possible. It's possible. And I think we see that change every single day with some of our participants. I liked... I, I'm not the expert for sure on it, but I feel like I see that transformation happening every single day with participants. Like, it's possible. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Arzu. <laughs> um, my message is to all settlers, and it's two, two, two quick messages. One, you mentioned um, Joyce Eshaquan, and I, it reminds me of, um, I think settlers need to pay more attention to what stories do you remember and, and whose names do you remember and whose names do you not? You know, and why, why don't I know the names of those nurses? Why don't I know the names of those administrators? Whose names are we, whose names do we remember and whose names do we not, you know, and why, and that's deliberate, right? And I think that's a part of the, the, the colonial process. And so I think that's really important. You know, let's pay attention. Where, where do our, where, where is our gaze? And um, who are we looking at and who are we not? And, I think that's the first one. And my second one is, I think, just tying into my last response about the importance of emotions, I think making sure that as settlers, when we're learning what we're learning, 
about the impacts of colonization and anti-indigenous racism to sit in the discomfort, you know, and to not be afraid to have your world, your belief systems, your worldviews questioned because it will lead to social transformation and you are going to be better off. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> I believe that Robin, let's hear, let's hear from you. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of messages too. Um, yeah, I think when I think about absolute fairness, um, I think about the goal of freedom of fear. There's so many of our people that are afraid to go to a hospital. Um, people will actually, you know, dress up to look nicer to go to, to go to a doctor's appointment or go to the hospital because um, they're, they're afraid that they'll be treated differently. And the reality is, is that our people are treated differently in healthcare, in the justice system, in child welfare, in all of the systems that exist in Canada. And um, to be free of fear and free of discrimination is what I think about in uh, about absolute fairness and fairness and equity. I kind of use those terms interchangeably and knowing that fairness and equity is different from equality um, is really important too. And like Kelly and Arzu are saying, uh, there's a requirement for settlers to do some deep self-reflection and introspection and um, to be uncomfortable and to sit with the discomfort and like really uh, humble yourself to that and to to really assess like what does fairness actually look like and how has it been different for you um, and then I also want to speak to um, our brothers and sisters other indigenous people as well that uh, I think <coughs> part of the one of the the biggest things that's that's come up in in healthcare and in child welfare and injustice and in, in the colonial narratives that are told about us is that you know we we call it pathologizing that like we you know we're we're weak people that we're sick people that we we don't have a strong voice and that is not true uh, it's the complete opposite and it's to really um, we know this and uh, I know that every day that. You know, our people do use do use their voices to to stand up and to speak out and to really counter that narrative in all the systems that we're we're a part of. But like that's really hard to. It's really hard to speak out in systems that have not been designed to work for you or to provide fair fair services for you. So I think a lot about um, the importance of like self care and support. Um, about assessing whether or not there's an opportunity for like institutional action, like uh, if there's if you're being treated unfairly or if you witness a family member being treated unfairly, like what avenues are there um, to pursue some kind of resolution to ensure that there will be some kind of outcome for fairness? And it's hard to to talk about speaking up because it's um like I said it's really hard when the systems are designed to almost quash your voice or to disbelieve you and the stereotyping that's so pervasive and prevalent in all of the systems to like disarm and to create illusions of dis that it's that there's disbelief so I would just say to that uh speaking up is important and we have a strong voice and to 
pri- to think about priority. Uh, is this something that I have to speak to right now? Um, is it safe to do this? Um, if you're feeling ready and also questions of like, what's the power dynamics going on right now? Um, I think, imagine, and this is something just personal from me, um, sometimes I'm more reluctant to speak up for myself than I am for, for other people, but like really um, have the strength and courage to, to speak up against injustice and inequity and a lack of fairness like, uh, like you would be for your, for your yaya, like for your grandma, for your, for your aunties or for your uncles. Thank you, thank you. Ah, oh, thank you three for being here today. For being part of my healing, you know, and I think and I'd like to give a message to my people. We must thank the truly resilient ones. Resilient means that you have the ability to recover after trauma. To recover quickly. We had elders like that that went to jail for refusing to stop to potlatch or practice our spiritual ways. Let's be like them. Let's be fearless. Let's face up to racism when it's there. My elder, one of my elders told me, he says, every time someone steps on you, if you don't make noise, they're going to keep stepping on you. So we must make noise, a respectful noise. You know, because it's like Martin Luther said, you can't fight darkness with darkness, only with light. You know, and I believe that. You know, that we must, as indigenous people, teach these ones, I call them small minded people, they don't know us. They have no idea about our culture, our way of life, our generosity, our ceremony all of those things. So I'm going to ask you not to take it personal. It's a big ask because I've taken racism personally. Um, Slowly, it took me until my 70s where I could not take it personally. But I want to encourage you to put this in your mind. Don't take racism personally. They don't know you. They treat everybody the same, and it's not right. But don't let it stop you from following your dreams. Everyone, I tell this to everyone, the purpose of life is for you to find your gift and to use it to help the people. To be a doctor, to be a lawyer, to be a carpenter, to be a painter or a musician or whatever it is. Don't let anything stop you from finding your gift, from fulfilling your gift. You know, Don't let those ones stop you. And to Canada, I'd, li- I'd like to let all of you know that I, I accept you today. You're meant to be here. It must be, because that's what my elders said. It must be meant to be, you know. And plus, I know a lot of you got people buried in the ground just like me, so that means you belong here. So I'm going to remind you to treat this earth like a mother, to treat this planet like a mother, a respected mother. And ask yourself once in a while, because we must admit that Canada is a beautiful country. I have no fear about practicing my culture. I have a sweat lodge in my backyard, and I'm nobody's going to put me in jail for that. You know, I, I can travel, I can do things, I can tell people I'm a pagan, and they're not going to put me in jail or kill me. <laughs> you know, maybe somebody would wish to, you know, but they're not. 
So we must all ask ourselves, what am I doing to deserve to live in such a beautiful country? So I'd like you to meditate on that. And uh, I'd just so like to thank my guests today for sharing their views, their beliefs. To me, it's like showing me your heart, and I want to let you know I appreciate it. I thank you for coming to Teachings in the Air today. Thank you. Thank you.